Exodus 16. We're going to be doing uh, verses 1 to 36. So, yeah, um, last week it was 15, Mickey taught, right? And did he do the whole chapter or just the last section? The whole chapter, the two? Okay, good. All right. I didn't get a chance to listen to it. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but right after we win a battle, and I'm talking about spiritually speaking and in, in the Lord, that there always, come, there always comes a test. You know, the Lord does something and he's working in your life and there's a test that comes. And this is something that, you know, we need to keep in mind. Um, if God works in your life at a time of trial and, and as, as he can only do, he brings you out of them those trials victoriously, you know, you know that it was God, you know that, I mean, Pete was out here just actually sharing that, you know, you know it's the Lord and he, and, and there was no other way out of the trial and, and, and the hand of the Lord was upon you and you know, it's like that was the Lord all the way through that. Um, it's not just for the sake of doing, he wants us to learn from that. He wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. Uh, God doesn't just work in our lives and does thing, things for the sake of doing things, um, you know, he wants to make sure that we learn. He wants to make sure that we grow and mature. Uh, and then the practical things that come from that and ultimately bring glory to his name. And, uh, you know, he is, he is totally involved in every aspect of our lives, isn't he? As long as we don't get in the way of that. As long as we don't get in the flesh and, and keep him from doing the things that he wants to do in our lives. But he is, he is totally involved. He wants to be completely involved in our lives because ultimately our lives belong to him we give our lives to the lord we call him lord and savior and that that word lord means master it belongs everything belongs to him every every aspect of my life every everything in me belongs to him and he wants to be part of all of that and and so he is always working and he's always making sure that we that we understand and that we grow and we mature and then sometimes he wants to make sure we get a clue um just like, if you have kids, you, you can understand that. We do the same thing with our kids. He does it a lot better, though. And, and that's what the Israelites uh, went through. You know, they, uh, they were trapped between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea with no physical way out. And, and sure, from a human standpoint, they were going to die. They knew it. Uh, but God, and that's the one, right? The but God. He, he's the only one. He makes the whole difference uh, in every situation. He, he delivered them by his power and might, not their own. And all that he required from them was faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. And, and, and God will, will show himself with power in our lives. Faith and obedience. You just trust him and obey. We trust him and obey. And that's all that he said. Just, just wait and see what the Lord is going to do. And they just stood there the sea part, and they walked across it. And maybe you've, you've experienced God's work in your life in a powerful way. You've been trusting and obeying, and God has been working, and God is doing. But the question then is, you know, what, what happens after the fact? Then what? Because we can make the same mistakes that these guys did for 40 years. You know, you look at, you look at their wilderness uh, uh, travels, and you're like, oh, my gosh, these people not, never get it. But then we got to look in the mirror because... We're the same. There's no difference. And so here are, are more, uh, as we look at 36, I mean 16, sorry, there are more demonstrations of God's power in and through uh, them. And, and it's a series of tests that God is bringing to the nation of Israel, more specifically to, to each individual Israelite, in order to show them where they are at, um, where their hearts are at, are at uh, when it comes to their relationship with God. Now, tests, I, I never liked tests since high school. I, I, I was one of those kids that needed tutors, and I would spend all week at a tutor after school preparing for a test, and, I, and the, the, the tutor would give me all these tests to get ready for the test of school, and I would pass them all, and then I'd go to school, and i sit the test, and i forget everything I learned all week. And my parents hated that because they spent a lot of money. I hated tests. I, I still don't like them. I don't think anybody... I, well, no. I have, I have a, a teenage daughter that likes school. and She's a little bit of a nerd. Uh, and she likes tests. She likes taking tests and passing and stuff. But 
uh, I don't know, maybe it's a guy thing, or maybe some of you guys like tests, but the tests, they confirm if something performs as it was designed to do. And, and if there is any, it, it will bring out the faults. And it's the same thing with when you take tests at school. It just okay, did, did you learn what the teacher taught? No, that's why you failed. Okay, then you got to figure out how to learn it. Um, it. It shows the weak points. And that's what God is doing here. Uh, as he says in verse 4 of 16, that he will test them to see whether or not they will walk in the law of God. Question then is, are you being tested? I think we all are. And, 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 and soon, if not yet, right? And how would you know? Well, because that is what God does in our lives. And not to put pressure on us, uh, but for us to be able to identify the areas where, you know, where things need to change, where there's weakness or where there's things that need to change uh, so that we can allow the Lord to work there. He doesn't test us to fail. Um, I thought in high school that every teacher that I had tested me to, so that I can fail. Uh, and it took me three extra years to get out of high school. And now I come to realize it wasn't their fault. You know, I just didn't care enough. But God doesn't test us to fail. He tests us so that in the process, he can make us more like him and bring glory to his name. Second Corinthians 3.18, Paul wrote, But we all with unveiled faces beholding, as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What sort of things, or, or, or um, yeah, what sort of things has God done, has God done or is he doing which have or, or are testing your Christianity. You know, what is it that the Lord's been doing or has done in your life that, that puts you in a place like, okay, where am I with my relationship with the Lord? Am I just cruising? Because we like doing that. Or, or, or there is that stretching that is like, oh, no. And if you're walking with the Lord and seeking him and you, you're desiring to walk with him, we'll be tested. And it's, you know, it's different for everyone because we, we all have uh, different areas in our lives that need to change, and we all have an individual walk with God. So things that go on in my life, things that I, I look at other people and the stuff that go on in their life, I'm like, no way. I, I, I couldn't do it. And they probably look at my life and they're like, I don't know how you do it. And I'm like, oh, this is nothing compared to yours. It's like, no, no. The main goal is obedience. That's what the Lord looks for, right? He, uh, Samuel told Saul in 1 Samuel 15, Then Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. And sometimes we, conf- we confuse obedience with doing. That's what Saul did. We confuse obedience with doing things and think that's the same. And we get busy with, with ourselves with serving, uh, but we're still disobedient, especially when it comes to our heart. You know, we do all the right things, especially at church. I tell the kids... All the time, he can testify to this. He just came out of there. Uh, you know, it's really easy to be a Christian at church because it's all set up for you. You know, you have Bible studies, you have prayer, you have worship, you have people that want to walk with the Lord and, and encourage you in your walk with the Lord again in your face, but then walk out the door. Those people are not there. And yeah, you have some of those friends you have, and that's a good thing, but it's, it's really easy to, to be a Christian here at church. And so we can do all the right things here. And say all the right things and behave because if we don't, we get called on. You know, there's the older people that call us on. And this Sunday, there's a bunch of kids running around, little ones. And a couple of them almost bumped into people. And there was an older lady that grabbed him and it's like, hey. And she pulled him over to me and had him apologize. I'm like, oh, I feel bad for you, kid. <laughs> I'm like, she was poor kid's face. I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that again. You have those people here, and the Lord uses that. But in our heart, what happens when we don't have that accountability? And then disobedience outside of this door is, you know, it's like, it's crazy. And that's not what God wants. So God is testing him. He's working. He's preparing him to be that nation that he's called unto himself. So verse uh, 1 of chapter 16, he says, And they journey from Elam. And all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th 
day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So after some time in Elam, where they had plenty of water and fruit, they departed and they're on their way to the promised land. About a month had passed since they had come out of Egypt by the hand of, of God. And Exodus 12 tells us that they probably departed on the 15th day of the first month. And if so, that's the case. is about a month later. A month had gone by. Not a long time. A month is not a long time. But this was the first month of their lives as a nation. And therefore, all the problems were going to come out now. And, and, and everyone was put to the test, both by God and, and then life, you know, being in the wilderness. And then you have to remember, that group of people that keeps popping up is the, the mixed multitude that left with them. Just as you continue to go through Exodus, they keep coming up because that mixed multitude, all they, all, they're good for nothing but to cre- create problems. And, um, and so here comes, you know, here comes the test. Uh, and it is both God and, and, and the wilderness. You know, God tests us, but living in, in, a, li- in a fallen world um, puts a lot of tests in, in front of us, right? Now, for those of us who are in Christ and we're trusting him with our lives, it will determine how we respond to these tests if we're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And also, not just the tests that come from the Lord, but the things that come from the world. Um, sometimes, and that's all it is, you know, it's, it's living in a fallen world with fallen people, and, and you have to address it biblically too. You have to trust the Lord with that. Um, it's, not, it's not the Lord every single time. Sometimes things just come, happen because we live in a fallen world. Um, there's people sometimes that they try to spiritualize everything. You know, I was driving down the street and, and this happened. And, well, yeah, yeah. I remember um, I was going to look at a pickup truck that I needed to buy all the way on the valley because my older one had been totaled. And a piece of plywood comes flying at me in the freeway and it took out the driver's side, driver's side mirror of my wife's van, brand new van. She wasn't very happy. Uh, and, and I remember thinking, I was like, well, maybe I shouldn't go look at this truck. You know, when pieces of plywood, two by, you know, four by four come flying, and he's like, maybe, no, I'm not going to look at the truck. And then I get there, and the guy doesn't want to sell it for the price I want to pay for it. It's like, ah, maybe I need it, you know. And sometimes we do that. And a month later, he lowered the price closer to what I want. So I called him, and I had the truck. And then somebody rear-ended me in the freeway and totaled that truck. And I'm like, well, maybe I shouldn't. But it got fixed, and I'm driving it, and it's, it's a perfectly good truck with a salvage title. Still good. And, you, and it, we can do that. But sometimes it's just a piece of wood on the freeway coming at you that somebody dropped from a truck and kept driving and took out your mirror and cost you a lot of money to fix. They were halfway to Mount Sinai where God would give them the law. Verse 2 is, is, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Complained. Same word that was used in the previous chapter. Right? You guys looked at this last week. In regard to their complaint, they're murmuring about the lack of water. The wilderness is a tough place, but the wilderness is where God does great work. Because it is during the wilderness years that God prepared Israel to become the nation. It was during the wilderness years that God prepared David to become the man after God's own heart and the right king for, for Israel. It is during our wilderness time here in the world that God does all his work and shows himself strong in our lives. And the wilderness is a type of our lives here in this world. And we have a choice. We can complain but we can learn and grow and become the men of God that he has for us to be. So a month had passed since the last of the plagues, since the first time that they had that continuing pillar of fire by night and cloud by day. I mean, that, that right there, it's crazy. Everywhere they went, this thing moved. And sometimes you read through this, you forget that that started Right there at the crossing of the Red Sea, there was a pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. And everywhere they went, this thing moved. And it had to be crazy for all these nations. As they come, they see this, this cloud coming toward them and then a couple million people right underneath it. And you're going, okay, who are these people? 
It only, it's only been a month since, or actually less time had elapsed since they, the, the Red Sea had parted. Even less time since the, the waters were made sweet. You guys looked at that last week. How many more things does God have to do to prove that he is God and so that we would trust him? But that's the problem, right? No matter how many miracles God can do and, and having his hand upon people's life, people eventually forget. Miracles and, and great works of God do not save people uh, and do not bring people to God permanently. Uh, it, it is that change of heart that make a difference in miracles. Because these guys see miracles after miracles. I mean, miracles have never been seen since then again. And a month later, a few days later, they're like, oh, I did again. Because to the person or persons whose hearts are not right with God, whose hearts have not been changed, a miracle is just demonstration of power. But there's always, well, I want something else. I want more. And after some time passes, and it does not have to be a lot of time, as we see here, these people will forget God's greatness and require another proof from him that he is God. And all because they, they, their hearts are after God. They're not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that seals us and teaches us and convicts us and corrects us. Right? 2 Corinthians 1.21 says, Now he who establishes with you in Christ and has anointed us is God who also has sealed us and given us a spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. We have God in us. Therefore, no outward, no outward miracle is needed. But these are used by God in our lives, and he's doing that here. But the person who doesn't have God in their lives, living in them, what else do they have, right? All they can do is complain and look at the past. Look at verse 3. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of mead and when we ate bread to the full. It's interesting because they were slaves. That was it. Oh, I remember. Yeah, you were slaves. No, 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 no. The meat. And somehow the, pa the pots had become larger and the food more abundant in their memories, at least, of, of Egypt. And they forgot the whip and the constant threat of death from the Egyptians. And they were looking to Egypt, but they were forgetting the state that they were in. And Egypt, again, is a type of what? It's a type of the world. It's a type of bondage to a type of sin. And you and I could be guilty of doing exactly what the Israelites were doing here when we look to the world. Not just the past, because we do that sometimes, but when the world has certain attractions, you know. And, we look, and there's something in the world that gets our attention, that there's an attraction there. When the world has like a virtual sense of, of safety and comfort, because that's all it is. You look around you, that the safety and comfort that we have in society, it's, it's hanging by a thread. I don't know if you guys walk around and pay attention to people. People are barely making it. It's crazy out there. People are just barely hanging on and dealing with life. Something goes sideways. We're going to be in a lot of trouble. I was, I was uh, at a... I was at Disneyland a couple of weeks ago, and I'm just watching people. I'm just waiting for my coffee, and, and just the way people treat one another, people, the, the way people deal with things and how they react to things. You're like, this is the happiest place on earth. <laughs> and they don't kill each other if they weren't for security. That's where we live. And, I mean, you watch the news. This guy went into elementary school yesterday. Another guy was at a, a supermarket walking around with a shotgun. It's like, welcome to the 21st century. And, 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 and we think that, you know, this world is better than the life that we have in Christ. We, we can make that mistake. You know, what is it that the world could have that is better than Christ's gift of eternal life and then on top of that, life lived in the power of the Holy Spirit? 
What is it the world has that is anything better than the assurance of eternal life and, and a life lived in the power of the Holy Spirit? I mean, think about it. Because this world, this world has nothing for us except death and dying. That's it. But that's not how it looks when we're not satisfied with God. When we're not satisfied with God, this world looks good. There is an attraction. Psalm 17, verse 15, it says, As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. I am going to be satisfied when I see you face to face, Jesus. Is that our prayer? Is that our heart's desire? Because if not, then this world's going to become attractive. If my desire will be satisfied when I see Christ, if that's not it, then this world's going to become an attraction. This world's going to, there's going to be things in this world. If you have, uh, if you have kids or grandkids, or you're just little people that you really like. They don't have to belong to you. Just, you know, the one thing is you, you want them out of here right away. You, you don't want them spending too much time in this world. And um, I remember when Xavier got in his motorcycle accident. Geez, this was 16 years ago or so, maybe a little bit less. And, and I remember him saying that he was had a halo. He couldn't move. And it was winter, and his wife was bringing wood from outside, and it, and it hit him. It's like, you know, if, if I die, she's going to have to do all this. And I remember hearing him say that, and it hit me because, you know, having a wife and at the time, a, a newborn kid, our first one, my, it's a weird thing to say, this, but you want your kids and your wife to die first so that they don't have to be, not that you are the protector, but as a man, that's, you know, the way... And I remember him saying that, I'm like, you know, I, now you say that to us, I, I want to make sure my wife and my kids die first. Like, what? what? You don't understand. We want him to get out of here in one piece as soon as possible. It says, uh, there, verse 3, it says, For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly with hunger. You know, as if Moses had de- deliberately brought all of Israel out of slavery just so that he could watch them die of starvation in the desert. Yeah, yeah, that's, that was the plan. A few days ago, they were accusing Moses of trying to kill them of dehydration. Now it's, dis, uh, now it's starvation. Now, they had food, so don't, don't think that they were, there was nothing for them to eat. Back in Exodus chapter 12, verse 38, it says, A mixed multitude, there is that group of people, went up with them also in flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. So there was there was stuff. Now, something that because that was their livelihood, there would be a tendency not to want to kill the, the livestock and, and 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 so their diet maybe was mainly cheese and milk. And I can understand. Now, that could get old. I, I love cheese. It doesn't agree with me. It does weird stuff. But I think I could live off of cheese. I've never tried it, but, you know, my wife wouldn't like it probably, but these guys had to, you know, maybe that's what it was. And so they wanted something else. Numbers chapter 11, verse 21 says, And Moses said, The people who I am among are 600,000 men on foot, yet you have said I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? So there, the stuff was there, yeah. Where did they feed the herds though? Well, it wasn't desert like sand, like you know, wilderness desert. So they, these goats live out there and and, and eat weeds and brush and yeah. They didn't they didn't eat you know, the pellets that we feed them nowadays. So they they weren't starving. Verse 4 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quote every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Now, bread here is, is it's in reference to uh, food in general, and not just bread. Uh, Jesus uh, prayed in Matthew six eleven as he taught his disciples to pray that 
We should ask God for our daily bread. And he wasn't just saying just that we just eat bread. You know, give us this day our daily sourdough. That's not what it's talking about food in general, our sustenance. So sourdough and cheese, it's good. And here in verse 4, it might be a, a reference both to the quail and to the manna. And in this, God will test them in this, both through the specific instructions in collecting their food, but also on their daily dependence for sustenance uh, from God. And the process, God is, is blessing them too with food. So there's a testing, there's a blessing. But he is also testing to see how they were going to react to it. And I don't know if you ever thought about this, that God, as he blesses them through these blessings, he's testing them. So a lot of times we think, yeah. So God does test people? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's what he's doing here. He's saying, I'm testing them to see if they're going to obey the Lord. Now, his testing, you, you got here a little bit late. So I said, so he doesn't test us so that we fail. He tests us so that we can grow through it. Oh, oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> That's the one thing that, you know, it's like, you want to pay, pray for patience? You're sure about this? Okay, here it goes. You'll learn patience. But even through the blessings, there's a testing. A lot of times we think, well, a test is something hard, something bad. But a blessing could be that too, a test. And that's what he's doing. And maybe God is blessing you today in ways that you're like, oh, man, Ben, God's just blessing Maybe the test. Like, no, no, I'm just cruising through this. It's great. Okay. Learn from it. In order for this to work, then there's, there's got to be order. Look at verse 5. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in. And it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. So God's going to provide for their daily sustenance. And they were going to have to trust God with that, right? Uh, so then on Friday, he will provide for them a double portion so they would have will be able to keep the Sabbath day as it, as it was introduced back in Genesis chapter 2. Verse 6, Then as Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? And so as God does what he does best, and that is taking care of his children and, and, and finishing what he has begun, then Israel will once again be reminded uh, that God is God. And, and also Mar Moses and Aaron make a point here about the complaint, right? The complaint is against God because it shows a lack of faith in, in the God who has so far fulfilled every single one of the promises that he's made. And also, Moses and Aaron are not taking this as a personal attack. At least not yet. Uh, eventually, Moses, it gets to him. Uh, Moses and Aaron are the ones representing God here to the people. And so the people, as they rebel against God and complain against him, they're going to take it on the ones who, who represent God. You know, the messengers, right? They complain, they complain against. Uh, and so for us, we do well not to not to take any of the attacks that are directed toward God as personal attacks against us. When you serve God, when you're walking with the Lord, you pray for patience, and you say, I want to walk with you, Lord, give me patience, and then here comes the test. Uh, when we serve Him, we, we'll, we'll find out opposition, and sometimes flat-out attacks, but that's expected, because you know, we live in a world that is under the control of Satan, Paul says, under the sway of the wicked one, who's who is constantly working in his attempt to usurp the uh, God's authority. He's always at work. So it shouldn't be any surprise if those who are not Christ, or even those who are walking in the flesh and therefore acting and living like the world, they will go against God and anyone who serves God. And, and Jesus warned of, warns of, of that in, in John 15, verse 18. It says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If, you're, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yeah, because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will, they will keep yours also. And, and that, you've been walking with the Lord for some time. I mean, it doesn't have to be a long time. You understand that. You try to walk with the Lord in this world and, and be a witness. You'll see that. Verse 8 is also Moses said, This shall be seen 
when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and in the morning bread to the full. But the Lord hears your complaints, which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Because like sin, it is always against God first. Sin is always against God first. We sin against people, but it's always against God first. Then Moses, in verse 9, spoke to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Yes, even your complaints he hears. I don't know about you, but I, I don't like complaints. I don't like whiny people. I don't think anybody does, except for the whiny people. They think they're fine with it. Um, it, it shows a lack of appreciation of what they have been given when people complain. And, and some can be, I mean, you know, some people can complain about things that are important, but, but a lot of times, you know, it's not the case. And I'm sure that all of our complaints to God, that's the same, you know, but, but he still hears us. Because when you love someone, even though they complain, and you might not like it, uh, but you hear them, and then you do what needs to be done because... The complaint might be valid. It's just the way they're going about it. And so it needs to be addressed. And if you have kids, you understand this when it comes to complaints. You, know? you, you, you go somewhere and you, they had a blast and they're tired. They come home. They sit on the couch and five minutes says, I'm bored. I just spent all this money in entertainment and now you're bored. Oh, I got nothing to do. Well, there's a door and there's a backyard. Oh, no. Complaint. Verse 10, now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And so God reveals himself to Moses, so they understand whom he had called. Because this comes up later, you know, it's like, oh, you, Moses and Aaron, you guys take it up upon yourself too much, you know, who do you think you are? It's like, and God does this a lot, it's like, that's the guy I want to talk to, Okay. And he shows himself and he reveals himself to Moses. Verse 11, And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them saying, At twilight you shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Because everything that God does is so that we may know him and understand who he is. And he's doing that. Because I want you to know that I'm God. Verse 13, so it was that quail came up at evening and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay all around the camp. So God provided meat, protein for dinner, and then manna for breakfast. I don't know if it's just carbs. I mean, this stuff, we don't know what it is, but it was really good apparently. And it sustained them for all those years. And quail is good. If you never had it should try it verse 14 and when the layer of dew lifted there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground by the way if you smell something burning earlier here they were making these little fake manna tortillas for the kids because they're going through this lesson in the little children's ministry so they were cooking that uh, some fake manna um I tried to grab one, but they wouldn't. I wanted to have something to show. I don't think it will taste as good as this stuff did. Nobody's tasted it since then. Once they came to the Jordan and they crossed, that was the end of that. And when the layer of dew lifted there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance, as fine as frost on the ground. So God provided bread. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. What is it? It's one word in the Hebrew. It's the word ma'on. In the Greek is the word manna. And that is what? What is it? Or, or a whatness. I guess it's bad English, but that's what that means. So what is it? What is it? Yeah, what is it? What is it? I have some what is it? What is it? You think the first day of this does what is it? Yeah. I asked you, what is it? It's just eat it. So that's why Moses says, This is what God, this is bread. Have some, what is it? 
This was the bread that came down from heaven that God gave them. This is a picture of Christ, right? Even Jesus makes mention of this when speaking of himself. Right after the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 26. says, Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, with the son of, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe? And there it's the same thing. What are you going to do for us? What work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And they never hunger while in the wilderness either, right? Just as we don't. And, and it is the spiritual food that Jesus is talking about. It, it's the one that matters more than physical food. I mean, and, I, and trust me, I like physical food. Ask any of the guys around here. I walk around all day eating. I don't know where it goes, but I, well, and I know where it goes. It's showing more and more. But I, I, I just, food is good. Birria tacos. Goat. Mm. There's this place out in Pico, downtown. Oh, good stuff. Lechon. We had that on Sunday. Oh, stop. I had half a Tommy's burger today for dinner. I wasn't going to eat dinner. Then Pastor Tony brought Tommy's burgers. And he goes, you want half of my burger? I'm like, oh. Last night, my wife says, you know, you got to stop eating that Tommy stuff. And there he was like, temptation and i gave into it i know let's go to tommy's after this you can blame it all on me past pastor diego said we should go to tommy's spiritual food you know it's where's that this is the thing verse 16 which the lord has commanded let every man gather it according to each one's need. One more for each person according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. So a specific amount was to be gathered, approximately a cup of manna per person. Verse 17, then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much, much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. Paul actually mentions this, actually quotes his scripture, uh, but in regards to providing for one uh, for, for other churches. In 2 Corinthians 8.13, says, For I do not mean that others should be at east and you burden, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, and their abundance also may supply your lack, that there be equality. As it is written, he who gathers much had nothing left, and he who gathered little had no lack. So, uh, Paul made the connection there. Verse 19 here, Exodus 16 says, And Moses said, Let no one leave any of it till morning. Short verse, specific. Make sure that there's nothing left until morning. Now, I think people from the beginning of history have loved uh, leftovers because you're going to see how that's a problem. But let no one leave none of it until morning. Because God will supply your needs daily. And daily should be your trust that he will supply your food. But of course, you know, people don't listen. Verse 20 says, Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning. Thinking, oh, I'll go to bed, get up, just give me some mana. I'm going to be right there just, just quickly in the morning before you get going, just a little bit. Probably better. It's just like pasta, you know, the next day is way better than the day you cooked it. It doesn't work like that. And it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. 
it's really hard for us to follow instructions, isn't it? It's just, every year, the day after Thanksgiving, we, we go on a hike with the kids up Chantry Flats or different places. But when we go to Chantry Flats, um, not the last couple of years because it's been pretty dry, but in other years, I think this year will probably be good. There's a lot of, uh, there's water crossings. We need to cross one. We tell them, hey, you know, just be careful when we cross. And it's not a lot of water. And, and so myself and some of the other adults will help the kids cross. It's like if, and if you step where we're stepping and you walk through here, you'll walk across dry. Or you can do your own thing, and they end up in the mud. Yeah. And that's, that's how we do things when it comes to the Lord, too. It's like God says, do this. Sure, I got this. Don't worry about it. Famous last words, right? I got this. And, and we give people instructions, and then they do whatever they want. And God does the same thing. When we don't trust God and obey his command, it stinks, right? Like putrid manna. Verse 21 says, so they gather it every morning and every man according to his need. And when the sun became hot, it melted. And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is the Sabbath, re Sabbath, re Sabbath, sorry, Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today. And boil what you will boil, and lay up for yourself all that remains to be kept until morning. So they made some manicotti, and they ate it. I'm sorry. I just had to go there. Verse 25, so they laid, up, laid it up till morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it, which is good. When you get up in the morning, you go looking for your food. You don't want worms in it. Why? Because... Now it was under God's specific direction. All week, just in the morning. On Friday morning, get double, cook it, bake it, boil it, whatever you want to do with it, and it'll be fine the next morning. So what made it stink one day and not the other? What's the difference between a Monday and a Friday morning? I don't know. But I'm sure it's always, it, as, as always, the difference is God. Kind of reminds me of when you buy food at the store and it expires at midnight right midnight tonight whatever food is expired that's it if you eat it at 1201 it's no good anymore right at least that's what the women the women in my house say the ham is expired what do you mean it's expired look this is april 11th you know tomorrow morning i get up i go well it expired it's fine. But something happened at midnight? Like, I, magically, it goes from being perfectly good to now poison to my body? Does that make sense? Yeah, just bless it and eat it. You can eat it for a couple more days. This stuff is fine. Now, don't, I mean, don't. Because if you go home and get sick, and yeah, then it's like, you got to build an immunity to it. But, but the difference is God here, right? It says, don't do it. Okay, now do it. And you stay within that, and God takes care of it. He does it. Verse 25, then Moses said, eat that today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. First he said, do not go, do not keep it until the next day. Okay, keep it until the next day. Do not go out today looking for it, because it's not going to be there. Now, we don't read of the actual institution of the Sabbath until Exodus chapter 20. You guys will get to that. But it was instituted all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, right? And so it goes all the way. So they knew this. And so it was understood by them. Verse 26 is, six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there be none. Now it happened. The sum of the people went out on the seventh day to gather. And guess what happened? But they found none. Why? Because God said there wasn't going to be any there. In disobedience, they did what they thought was right. In disobedience, they, th they did what they thought was right. These are the first university liberal students right here. They just do whatever they want and then complain because it doesn't work their way. This is the first snowflakes in history. Verse 28, and the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. 
Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. He's like, come on, people. Get with it. It's simple. You know, why don't you get it? But you, you read this, and I remember reading this first couple of times I was going through the Bible. I was like, getting frustrated with the Israelites. And then thinking, oh, wait. I, I'm, I'm just like them. Obedience. They just refuse to obey. And, and nothing has changed, right? Verse 31, and the house of Israel called its name manna. And it was like white coriander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Then Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it to be kept for your generation, that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness. Then I brought you out of the land. So that they will hold on some, and that won't go bad either. It's like perfectly preserved manna. And Moses has said to Aaron, take a pot and put an omer of manna in it, and lay it out before the Lord to be kept for your generations. Now, eventually, that made it into the Ark of the Covenant, uh, together with the tablets of the law and Aaron's uh, rod that had budded. And in Hebrews chapter uh, 9, the writer of Hebrews, verse 4 says, which had the golden scissors given a description of, 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 the, of the temple or, or the... Or the um, the tabernacle, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides of gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. So eventually those things made it their way into the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 34, it says, The Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel ate manna forty years. Until they came to an inhabited land, they manna, until they came to the border of the land of Cana. Now, later if you read, I think it's Numbers 11, they complain. This is all we have, this manna to eat. You mean the miracle that happens every morning? That the stuff that nobody knows what it is, but somehow sustains that, that stuff? You, you have a miracle? You eat miracle every morning. You don't want it anymore. All right. And then they, you know, they want the quail and the whole thing. It rots in their teeth. and It's fun. Read uh, Numbers 11. They ate the manna until they came to the borderland of Cain. Now, an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. As, depending on where you read, measurements are a little bit different. In, in, it's like a, a cup of manna, something. It, it's a dry measure of, of, like that we use for a grain. Um, and so that was kept. Now, it's interesting as I mentioned before, that these three things will make their way into the Ark of the Covenant. That the three, the three things that were inside the Ark, all of them were associated with rebellion on the part of Israel against God. All three of them. The manna, the tablets, because the first set he had to break them, and Aaron's rod that budded, because that was because they complained. You guys take it upon yourself. You know, why is it you, Aaron? All three of those. And all three of those were inside the ark covered by what? The mercy seat. And on that mercy seat was the blood of the sacrifice sprinkled every year. And no difference in us, right? It's the blood of Christ that covers us. Uh, and, and, and God works in our lives and he tests and we fail and he brings him around again because he wants us to do well and he wants us to learn and he wants us to, to grow and mature in our relationship with him and 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 we pray, God help me to grow. We pray for patience, you know. And then God says, "Okay." We have an idea of how we want to get that understanding, how we want to grow. But God has a, a better way. And and all He wants us to do is trust and obey. Trust and obey. And sometimes it's cake. Sometimes it's not. But we have to trust and obey. And 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 when the Lord does the things that He does like these miracles here and the things that he does in our lives, it's a reminder. I'm God. I'm still working. Just trust me. Just trust me. Trust me for your food every day. Trust me for your kids. My 16-year-old started her first day at work today. My wife sent me a picture of her in uniform. I'm like, ah, It's my first kid, and it's a girl. And I'm like, no way. And I'm like, okay, hey, Lord, 
she's yours. I just want her to stay home and not leave and say, unless just to go to the yard. Not too far, but you know. And she's graduating this year and she's starting college in the summer. I'm going to start college with her, I think. <laughs> she's, I'm just, you know, I got, it's, she belongs to the Lord. You got to trust him. You know? Oh, like crazy. What's that? Oh, no, she can't ask me to help with homework. I would, my, my eight, nine-year-old ha- asked me to help with homework. She goes, Daddy, what does this mean? This, these are fractions. I go, ask your mother. <laughs> it's been too long, and it took me too long. I forgot it. Once I was out of there, pfft, I don't need that. And now I do. I need to help her. I can't. Trust and obey with everything, your kids, your marriage, your work. Just trust and obey. He, he works through all these things. Father God, Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for your loving kindness, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, you're always working. Your hand is upon our lives continually. And I pray, Lord, that we would not get caught up in things that would keep us from seeing you and and keep us from hearing you and keep us from just allowing you to work in and through our lives uh, for your glory. That we, we may not be like the complainers, who, after we see you do something and we know it's you, Lord, we, we, it's not enough. Help us to be satisfied with you. And if there is something that we will not be satisfied, will be that we will not be satisfied until we see you face to face, Lord. And, and that will be the desire of our heart. And that's how we live our lives here. Looking forward to that day, that day when we see you face to face, when we know as we are known. Between now and then, Lord, just keep us in you. Help us, Lord, to abide. We love you, Lord. We ask things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you guys. Thank you.